in This Week in British History, Arthur Tudor is born, as is the famous crime writer Agatha Christie. The first tank goes into battle and we lose 11 days overnight. Welcome to the latest episode of This Week in British History with me, Philippa Lacey Brawl, where I'm going to round up for you some of the events which happened in This Week in British History. If you love history and you love British history, then you are definitely in the right place. These videos go live once a week, but if you can't wait that long, please come and find me also on Facebook, Instagram and Pinterest. Waking up on the 14th of September 1752, I imagine there was a few conversations that went a bit like this. What date is it, Bill? It's the 14th of September, John. Wasn't it the second yesterday, Bill? Yes, yes it was, John. In 1752, Britain and America adopted the Gregorian calendar, which is the one that we still have today. It replaced the Julian calendar. The problem with the Julian calendar was just that it simply didn't reflect the realities of the Earth's movements around the Sun. The Julian calendar had more days in it than it needed. To be exact, one more day every 128 years. So in 1582, Pope Gregory XIII decreed that a new calendar should be adopted in Christendom. The new calendar meant adjusting the date by 10 days, taking 10 days out. Catholic countries quickly adopted this, but England at the time, this was during Elizabeth I's reign, and it was not adopted here. In fact, it wasn't until 1752 that it was adopted. By that point, the adjustment needed to be 11 days removed from the calendar. And so if you went to bed on the 2nd of September, 1752, you woke up on the 14th of September, 1752. The Gregorian calendar named after Pope Gregory, but was actually designed by an Italian astronomer and doctor and philosopher, Luigi Lillio. Now it wasn't a perfect calendar, the one we're using today, we know it's not perfect because we have to have leap years in order to adjust it again, but it was better than the previous Julian calendar. Lilio actually died six years before the calendar was introduced, so he never got to see his idea come to fruition. So as I said, Britain and America didn't adopt the new calendar till 1752, but we weren't the last countries to adopt it. Turkey was in fact the last country to adopt it in 1927 and by that point they had to drop 13 days from their calendar. The Gregorian calendar is also known as the Western or Christian calendar for obvious reasons that it was brought in by the Roman Catholic Christian Church. Now here's a story of an incredible woman. The prolific crime thriller writer Agatha Christie was born on the 15th of September 1890. She was born into an upper middle class family and she didn't learn to read until she was eight years old and that is because she decided to teach herself. Her mother refused her a formal education until the age of 15 when she was sent to finishing school. Her most famous characters are the detectives Hercules Poirot and Miss Marple, but she also wrote six romantic novels under a pseudonym, Mary Westmacott. Christie also wrote The Mousetrap, which has been performed on the West End from 1952 up until it's been forced to close in 2020 due to the uh, Covid outbreak, but that makes it the world's longest running play. Christie is the best-selling author of all time, but just to put that into a bit of context, J.K. Rowling is a modern phenomenon, has sold 400 million books. Christie has sold over 4 billion. Not bad for a writer who wrote their first novel as a dare from her sister. The Battle of Fleur-Courcolette, as part of the wider Battle of the Somme, saw Britain use tanks for the first time in combat. It was the 15th of September 1916. 
This was a very early design of a tank and it wasn't that reliable. Of 49 tanks that should have been deployed, only 25 actually moved into battle. The British were criticised for putting the tanks into battle before the design was mature and that what they'd actually done is show the enemy the technology that they were developing. However, the counter-arguments to that criticism were that the Germans were actually lulled into a full sense of security, that the British were trying some technology that they couldn't actually develop and it was, it was no good. And actually, a, a year later, at the Battle of Cambrai, when tanks were deployed again, the German forces had no counter-attack. And so perhaps that was true. But also that by deploying the tanks into battle, the engineers, the designers, learned more about how they would be able to work and what improvements were needed. The first tanks that were deployed moved very slowly at about walking pace. And although they did provide protection from gunfire for the soldiers inside, they were vulnerable to artillery fire because they weren't moving very fast, so they were an easy target. The conditions inside the tanks also were unpleasant because there was they were cramped, there were dark, ventilation was poor, and there were fumes from the engine. The designers of the tank learnt valuable lessons from the deployment of the tanks into a real battle situation. And the tanks' designs were improved and improved and improved, and tanks became a dominant feature of warfare of the 20th century. Before we leave the story, let's talk about the word tank and where that comes from. During the First World War, Britain began seriously developing the technology for the tank. This was a secret weapon development and it was done under the guise of developing water tanks. The Royal Navy had led the way with the First Lord of the Admiralty, Winston Churchill, setting up the Land Ships Committee in 1915. Our final story for this week, the 20th of September 1486 saw the birth of Arthur Tudor. He was born between midnight and 1am, leaving some dispute as to whether he was actually born on the 20th or the 19th, but he was born at Winchester. Neither his name nor the place of birth was anything but carefully planned. Arthur was born only eight months after the marriage of his parents, Henry VII and Elizabeth of York. Elizabeth of York was the daughter of Edward IV, and so the new baby had both Plantagenet and Tudor blood. Arthur, despite being a month premature, seemed fit and strong and healthy. Elizabeth, despite developing a fever following the birth, recovered fully. As I said, neither the place of birth or the baby's name was anything less than carefully planned. Henry VII had come to the throne the previous August after beating Richard III at the Battle of Bosworth and many considered usurping the crown. The fledgling dynasty, even with Henry VII's marriage to Elizabeth of York, daughter of Edward IV, which no doubt quelled some opposition to it, was in need of a constant PR campaign, which Henry VII seemed more than equipped for. Henry showed a flair for what we would now call PR or public relations. And by that, I mean that he was very aware of all of how everything looked. And being a fledgling dynasty, Having criticism of usurping the throne because his link was to the throne was fairly tenuous, he was aware that he needed to stamp the authority of the new regime, the new kingship, on to the minds and the mindset of the people. And Winchester was very carefully chosen for this purpose. It had a long connection with dominant kings of England, Alfred as an example, but also to the legendary King Arthur, and was Winchester potentially the legendary Camelot. So this was the reason why he made Elizabeth travel to Winchester, heavily pregnant, 
potentially the reason she went into labour early, but it was important that she gave birth at Winchester and that the baby was named Arthur. Obviously, luckily it was a boy, because this immediately tapped into the idea of the legitimacy of this new king and his heir by linking him to the legendary kings of the past. Joining me this week, if you've enjoyed it, please do hit subscribe, give it a thumbs up, comment below, and I will see you all again next week for the next episode. In the meantime, have fun. Bye.